The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Upon the sea, the ship was tossing to and fro. Breakers dashed on every hand, angry winds around it blow. All on board were filled with pride as the mighty billows rolled. Then they called upon the one Who the winds and waves control When he reaches out his hand Billow cease at his command Winds and waves obey his will When he says to them be what man is this they all did say, that the winds and sea obey, he's the one who sails with me, oh he's still the master of the sea. The storms of life may rage, mighty billows round you roll. When he can calm life's troubled sea, oh, as he did in days of old, and as upon life's sea you sail, why don't you trust in him? Never ever fail. I'm so glad he sails with me. Oh, he's still the master of the sea. When he reaches out his hand, he'll all cease at his command. Friends and waves obey. What man is this they all did say That the winds and sea obey He's the one who sails with me Oh, he's still the master of the sea He's the one who Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Oh, Lord, it's your word that must go forth. Only your spirit can quicken our hearts and bind up our wounds and heal us. Lord, today I ask in this house for the healing 
of your blood. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south, until a man or woman squarely faces and settles the question of obedience to God. He is not on believing ground. And if you are not on believing ground, the blood of Jesus Christ will not cover you. Yesterday was a beautiful day. If you've been to my home, the home the Lord has given to us to live in, you would know that I love Canis. Six-foot Canis. Bright red Canis. And so in the flower gardens around the front, I plant the bulbs. And they grow to over six feet. They're brilliant. Neighbors come from other parts of our division just to drive by and see the beautiful red Canis. Yesterday they were dead and wilting. The killing frost that came last week had taken all their life. And so I went out yesterday and began to cut them down. After I'd cut them all down, I gathered all of the dead foliage and I put it in garbage bags. And then I took a three-pronged fork and began to put that fork down into the soil and flip up those bulbs. I'd pick up a whole clump of bulbs that had grown tight together, begin to work around them to get the dirt loose, tearing away the roots. When they'd come apart, sometimes I'd bang them one against another. If that didn't work, I'd bang them up against the wall. And then after I got the dirt off and I could see where the points were, where new growth would come, I'd break them apart. And then I put them in storage in my farm wagon, covered them all over, put them in the cold garage. They'll be there till spring. As I was doing it, I began to think about, this is pretty much how God has treated me. He put his fork down into that soil where I was comfortable, where I had my roots deep, and he popped me up out of there. And of course, I clung to every bit of soil I could cling to. But with his hands, he began to, and quite frankly, I didn't think it was very kind. I thought it was rather harsh particularly when he banged me up against somebody else. Or even worse yet, when he just banged me up against the cement wall. I thought, that's not very loving. But you see, his goal was not to keep me happy. His goal was to put me in cold storage because he knew the winter was coming where I would die if he didn't put me away in cold storage. I mean, 
Tonight, the temperatures are supposed to drop to 18 degrees. If it stays 18 degrees very long, those roots, those bulbs, would have all died. But yesterday, in the brilliant sunshine, if I had said to the bulb, would you like to come and get in cold storage? The bulb would have said, absolutely no, leave me alone. I'm comfortable. But God knew the freeze was coming, the judgment, and I would die. So he uprooted me. Oh, I complained. I moaned and groaned. Oh, how terrible this is. I'm getting all the skin rubbed off. I'm being made raw by what God is doing here. Where's God's mercy here? Well, mercy is to put you in cold storage because there's a freeze coming. Now, you know what's going to happen next spring. I'm going to pull those precious roots out. You understand, those, those precious bulbs cost over $400. They're valuable. They're a treasure. Well, you cost also. You're a treasure to God. And He's not about to let you die in this process. You cost Him too much. So don't mistake the idea of getting forked out of the ground and roughed up on the wall with dying. The Lord God of heaven has plans for you. He's going to plant you this spring. And you're going to grow with this wonderful foliage into something beautiful. And then you're going to be topped with a red crimson. The blood of Jesus. And people are going to come by just to look on the beauty of this life. If you can take the forking out of the ground. But look at Psalm 107. Psalm 107, we're going to explore today because this wonderful Old Testament chapter opens for us the coming, the birth of Jesus Christ. There are four categories of people identified. Please find yourself in one of these four. The first one begins with verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. It's very clear. This is the Christian who is wandering in the world and has no church family, has no place for sustenance. And they're wandering around out there. They're, they're saying, oh, if I could just find a place where I could find Jesus. If I could only find a place where I would be fed, where I would have my hunger met by the Word of God. Now today, there's a great desert out there. And there are many who are hungry and thirsting for Jesus. And they're being given empty food. They're wandering. It's of no fault of their own that they're wandering. They're wandering because they're only going by what they've been taught. But there is a hunger in their heart for Jesus. And this hunger propels them on a search. 
you've come to this church because you were propelled by the Holy Spirit and your love of Jesus to find food. Notice verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way, not a crooked path, a straight path. Now, there are some who will come to the National Prayer Chapel, and they will say, if we can walk a crooked path and belong here, then we'll stay. But if you insist on a straight path, we're out of here. Those are spoken of in just a moment. Look at verse 8. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love, not His unconditional love, His unfailing love, and His wonderful deeds for men. For He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. This is the word I stand on today that in spite of how I am treated by God to shake me loose from the, from the soil, regardless of how long he puts me in cold storage, I serve a God who is good, who has unfailing love, and he knows what he's doing with my life, and I trust him with my life. I will not have issues in my life. I will give every issue to Jesus Christ, and he will deal with it in his time and in his way. In the meantime, I simply will praise him. I will honor him. Through the tears, I will honor him. And I will continue to repent, not growing weary, not growing tired, but saying, Lord God, give me another shake. There's still dirt on me. Put me up against the wall. Do whatever you have to do. Get me cleaned up. I want to be planted in your garden. But then we find those spoken of in the 10th verse. People who are caught in sin. Some sat in darkness, in deepest gloom. Prisoners suffering in iron chains. These are men and women who simply grew up in homes where Jesus was not lifted up. And the result of his not being lifted up is they became involved in things that became chains about their legs and their hands. They bound with drugs, with lust, with pornography. They became bound. There was no release for them. They became bound by the need for approval. They became bound with their lusting after food. They became bound. It was just the way they were raised. They didn't go out and search for evil. Evil found them in their home. They're suffering in iron chains. For they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So the word of God comes to them now, but they despise it. It doesn't satisfy their soul. The television satisfies their soul. And so the Lord, to lift them up out of that dungeon of bondage, verse 12, so he subjected them to bitter labor. This is Uncle Laban. And all of us have been bound in the chains of wickedness, of pride, of arrogance. 
and always God's method for dealing with it is the same, to give us bitter labor. Some of you have been told by the Spirit, clean your houses up. Some of you have been told, submit to your husbands. Some of you have been told, go to work and submit to your boss. And no more mouthing. He's saying, will you trust me? And the way I'm going to break this bondage of sin off your life is I'm going to give you bitter labor. Notice verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Now you see a similarity between the first and the second. In chapter 107, verse 6, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Over here in verse 13, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. The way they're similar is the way they finally responded to Almighty God. They cried out to the Lord, if you please, they hid behind the pulpit. They said, there's no way we can make anything happen here. What would happen on your job if you just said, there's no way I can make this happen on my job? There's no way I can get a promotion on my job. There's no way I'm going to get a better deal. There's nothing I can do to make this work. Lord God, I cry out to you. You're my deliverer. You're my provider. You're the one who is the lifter of my head. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I don't have to work out a financial deal to get ahead. I don't have to go to all the tax books and figure out my advantage. I don't have to do all of the cunning stuff of the human heart. Lord God, I trust you. I can't do it. You do it. Look at verse 15. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Not unconditional love. Unfailing love. And his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some of you today feel like you have gates of bronze and bars of iron holding you in a prison place. Know today that that place was designed especially for you by God. It's called cold storage. It's where you obey Laban. It's where you suffer in that bitter labor. And it's a place where you are being told, cry out to the Lord and he will deliver you. Now, it's interesting to me that it does not say, just say, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. That's not what it says. It says, cry out to the Lord. It doesn't say to take an attitude that says, well, we'll see what happens. When people say to me, we'll see what happens, I always say back to them, then you will see hell. Hell happens. No, 
You will not see what happens. You will make it happen by taking a stand in Jesus Christ and putting your trust in him and letting him control the details. He knows how to get you up out of that ground. He knows how to smack you up against the wall. And he knows how to get you into cold storage so you can be ready to bloom in the spring when he's ready to have you bloom. Now, what would you think of my beautiful cannas? Frankly, they're quite ugly in the bulb stage. You see, when I look at the cannas, I don't see the ugly bulb. I see the beautiful flower. What would you think if you came in my garage today and you heard a pounding? Hey, let me out of here. And you heard weeping and moaning. Let me out of here. He's got me in bondage. Are you going to go pull my wagon out and, and take the bulbs out and say, oh, they're there. Poor bulbs. You've been so mistreated by your owner. I'll just put you out back in the garden where you're going to freeze to death. No, I don't think you do that at all. But some of you are pounding on the doors of your cave and you're saying, let me out of here, let me out of here. No, it's to cry unto the Lord, to cry out to the Lord. And the Lord will reach into your cold storage when he's ready to plant you. Are you going to call him names in the process? Accuse him? Say he's unfair? That he never meets your need? No. We have no charge against Jesus Christ. Now look at the third one. Begins in verse 17. These are the fools who play with fire. These are the people who've been released from bondage. And then they go back and get in bondage again. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. This is for the person who's heard the word of God and won't obey the word of God. They hear the word of God concerning how to eat. They can, they can hear the word of God concerning how to trust him with their money. They can hear the word of God about every aspect of the Christian life, and they rebel, and they say, no, I'm going to do it my way. And they go back into darkness, and they draw near to the, to the gates of death. They will not take a stand on believing ground. Instead, they have to see it in order to believe it. No. Believing ground means I'm going to obey the Lord Jesus Christ in every detail. It's fixed it's set, even in the smallest things. I am not going to disobey the Lord. I am not going to rebel against the Lord. I'm not going to complain or grumble against the Lord. I am going to submit to his hand. I'm going to submit to Uncle Laban. I am going to stay where he places me. And in that place, I'm going to sing praises. I'm going to glorify his holy name. I'm going to worship him. And in my private prayer closet, I'm going to cry aloud to him and ask him to deliver me. Verse 19, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Now you notice, verse 6, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Verse 13, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. 
Verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. But notice the change this time. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Now keep your finger right there and go over here to the book of John. John, the first chapter. Read carefully this whole chapter today, but look especially with me at verse 14. John, the first chapter, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then again in Psalm 107, He sent forth His Word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. In other words, as we cry aloud to the Lord, whether it's because we're starving and we just aren't getting fed the Word and we don't have fellowship and we eagerly desire to be in the presence of God, to be able to settle in a city where God's presence rules over us, or if it's because we have those family bondages that we've lived with for many years, that dysfunctional family, that painful family stuff, and we've never been able to gain the victory, and we cry aloud to the Lord, or if we've played with sin, and because we've played with sin, we were caught, and now we're in bondage, and we know we're going to die if God doesn't deliver us. Again, We cry out to the Lord in our trouble. The scripture says he sent forth his word and he healed them. He rescued them from the grave. When the Lord sent forth that baby, Jesus, he was on a pilgrimage. He was on a pilgrimage to the cross. And at the cross, the word says, by his stripes, we were healed. In the atonement is the healing of our body, the healing of our finances, the healing of our families, the healing of our hearts. The healing of God flows out of the coming of Jesus Christ. Now the issue is, will we rebel against the very thing that is being done by the Holy Spirit to cleanse us and wash us and get us on believing ground? Now, you notice in none of these three do people move to the believing ground because it's comfortable. We don't make progress in spiritual life by deciding to wake up one morning and explore further the land. It's not done on a whim. Always it's done out of a desperate need. And Jesus, knowing our hearts, has to place us in those circumstances where we will cry aloud to the Lord because it's only when He comes and meets us that healing happens. So if you're fat and happy, you have no need of Jesus and you will not cry out to Him. It's only when he puts his fork into the ground and pries us up out of that place and tears the roots off us 
and says, okay, it's time for you to go in cold storage for a while. Now we're ready to cry aloud to the Lord. Now we're ready to pray. And that's when he hears us. Now let me confess. I've never just been a happy, casual camper and said, yo, God, hey, over here, Jesus, I need some help here. Would you mind, would you come and help me with this deal? I've never gotten an answer to that kind of prayer. To get down on your knees and say, Lord, you've blessed me so abundantly and I honor your name and and thank you for all that I have. Jesus, thank you. Now, could you do one more thing for me? I've never had that kind of prayer answered. At the end of the day, get down on my knees and say, now I lay me down to sleep. I've never had that kind of prayer answered. The only kinds of prayers I've ever had answered by God are prayers where I have taken force and I've said, I'm going to die if God doesn't answer me. Hallelujah. And then God answered me. If you don't grab a hold by force and say, oh God, I'm going to die in this bondage if you don't release me. I hate this sin. I can't stand it another minute. I've got to have relief. Oh, God, I'm so tired of reading your scriptures and not understanding what I'm reading. I'm so tired of this. I've got to have you, God. My heart is dying for you. Now God's going to answer you. Now, God, I know I've got to pray through this. If I don't pray through this, I'm going to perish, oh, God. I've got to have you. Now God's going to answer you. If you refuse to be emotional with God in your prayers, you will not move his emotions. And if you don't move God's emotions, your prayer will not be answered. If you make him angry with you by how you pray, your prayer will not be answered. He wants people who will get on believing ground. who will come into his throne room and who will cry aloud in their trouble. People who know if God doesn't answer, they don't have any other answer. People who know that if God doesn't answer, it's hopeless. That if God doesn't meet them in their sorrow, they're going to perish. God hears that kind of prayer. God answers that kind of prayer. I listened to a broadcast last night at midnight. This man was just praying with people. And as he would begin praying with each person, soft music would begin to play in the background. And they just chatted with God about all kinds of things. They chatted with God about all kinds of things. Well, it makes a great show but there was no power of God in it, and there was no answer coming. You know, God, would you you take care of Auntie's toe, and would you take care of Sister Sue's arm, and, and would you... 
God, would you bless all the people who are driving tonight? Would you, would you bless all the truck drivers that are on the road tonight? Now, I don't mean to ridicule this man's prayer, but I want to tell you something. This man wasn't getting any answer in heaven. He wasn't getting any throne room attention. Because it didn't matter if God answered the prayer or not. Everything was going to continue as it was before. There was going to be no testimony of God's power. It was sentimental schlock. God doesn't hear prayers like this. He doesn't answer those prayers. We've got to get on believing ground and take a stand and not be moved and submit to Him and cry aloud to Him. You know, I want to tell you something else. God doesn't answer most of my prayers that are prayed silently. I can almost hear God saying, well, what'd you say? Could I hear that again? You know, this shooting of prayers toward heaven. Hit or miss, my arrows don't get the heart of God. They fall outside the city. Now, I'm not saying to you that God will never hear a silent prayer because there have been times when I have cried aloud silently and God has heard my prayer. But as a rule, God won't hear silent prayers. Most often when you begin to pray silently, you'll soon find yourself talking to yourself. And your thoughts will wander and pretty soon you'll not be praying at all. You'll just be talking to yourself. And you'll say, this is foolish, I'm going to go to sleep. No. It's when you begin to speak out your prayers and you cry aloud to the Lord and you get on that believing ground and you say, I'm not going to be moved to the left or to the right. I'm going to submit to you, Jesus. I'm going to surrender it right here. And I need you to deliver me because if you don't deliver me, I'm going to die. God hears that kind of prayer. Now look at the fourth. Verse 23. Psalm 107, verse 23. Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. God loves entrepreneurs. People who run their own companies. People who are involved in business. They're going to always see the works of the Lord. His wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest and lifted high the waves. God has a way of getting the entrepreneur's attention by just raising up huge, overwhelming waves of opposition so that you think you're going to go bankrupt, you're going to die. There's no possible way through because God knows that an entrepreneur is filled with arrogance just to get started. You have to have arrogance to be an entrepreneur. And God loves them. And they get out there and they say, now I'm going to show you. 
I'm going to prove I can do this. Look what I can do. I can get the contracts. I can get the business. I can get this house, and I can renovate this house, and I can do something here. You watch how I take care of my family. We're going to invest the family money here, and we're going to go for it. And God says, yes, you are. And God sovereignly comes and makes the contractor mess up. God sovereignly comes and doesn't let the order come in on time. God sovereignly comes and puts his hand on that piece of machinery and says, you're not going to run, donkey. God comes sovereignly and he brings these huge waves that come crashing through your life. And you say, why did we ever get in this business situation? This is impossible. They reeled, verse 27, and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. A businessman or woman is not safe until they've come to their wit's end. And then they know that Almighty God controls the gaining of wealth. And that you're going to have to be on believing ground if you're going to go into business. Now, I want you to understand, this is not true of the pagan. The pagan can go borrow the money at the bank. Their equipment's going to run perfectly. They are going to be prosperous. They are going to have houses added upon houses. It's easy And the Christian looks at it and says, hey, that's easy. I'm going to do it too. No, you're not. (laughs) You might do it, but the waves are going to come against you. You thought you could escape Uncle Laban and start your own sheep herd. Oh, no, you're not. God is in charge of the Christian's life. And he's going to make certain that he brings them to their wit's end where there is no escape. And they are going to have to cry aloud to the Lord. Now you understand the problem is not with going into business. The problem is the way they went into business. You know this department store called Lord and Taylor? Well, Mr. Taylor, when he started that store, said... The Lord is going to be my partner, and because he's bigger than I am, his name's going to go first. That's why it's called Lord and Taylor. Because Taylor was second to the Lord. The Lord was the president. Taylor was the vice president. Now he had things in proper order, and God abundantly blessed him in his entrepreneurial venture. You understand what I'm saying to you today? You've got to be on believing ground if you're going to venture forth in the great waves or they will overcome you and you'll stagger like a drunk. And you'll say, why did we ever get into this? And you'll see your family being bankrupt. Notice what it says. Verse 26, they mounted up to the heavens 
and went down to the depths. And in their peril, their, in their peril, the courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. Now you notice verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Verse 28, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed, and they were glad when it was calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live. They founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Now, I want to tell you today, there is only one answer. And that is to submit to the discipline of the Lord and to let him put you into cold storage for as long as he wants to put you into cold storage. To let him put that relationship into cold storage as long as he wants to put it in cold storage. No issues. Giving it into the hand of Jesus. Getting on believing ground. And believing ground is the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And saying that under this atoning blood of Jesus Christ, I will submit to every discipline of the Lord. I will let Him change me. I will let Him move me. I will let Him destroy everything that I think is my comfort. I will let Him rip me out of one place and plant me in another. I will let Jesus do as He chooses with my life. I no longer have a life. It belongs to Jesus Christ. Believing ground is when we stand under that precious blood and we say, Jesus has come among us. He is the Word and I will wait upon him to speak into my life to bring the deliverance that he has promised, and I will not give up hope. I will not back off. I will press into him, and I will sing songs of praise while I press in, even through my tears. I will praise his name. Have any of you felt the discipline of the Lord this week?
the chastising of the Lord. Did any of you grumble as they did in the wilderness, murmur against the Lord and say, this is so hard. Did any of you whine this week? Say, oh God, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. It's too hard. And I get those phone calls from different ones of you. Oh, I love you. And I love that you'll call me. But sometimes the calls just drive me to my knees. Those calls that came and said, you know, I'm not even going to be up in the house Sunday. Those calls that say, I'm just, I'm just not going to do anything anymore. I can't serve the Lord and be a sinner. I'm just going to give up. Oh, you weren't alone. (laughs) And some of you wanted to call and didn't have the courage. I was praying for you too. See, we need to know the truth. And the truth sets us free. And the truth is, Jesus does not have unconditional love. He has unfailing love. And what's the difference? Well, if he had unconditional love, he'd always have to love me the way I need to be loved. And if I was loved that way, I would not repent. But instead, he wants to get at those bondages. He wants to get at those bitter roots. He wants to get at that transforming work that Christ would be formed in you. Well, Christ can't be formed in you without going into major plastic surgery. So the Lord is looking at us today as a fellowship, as a congregation. And he's saying, I have unfailing love for you. Will you submit while I do what I have to do to get you ready to bloom in the spring? I was asked this week, what's the Lord doing at the National Prayer Chapel? Without missing a beat, I said the same thing he's been doing from day one, ruining our lives. Remaking us. And the question that came back I thought was so interesting. Are you submitting to it? Is your church submitting to it? That was Pastor John, by the way. I said, yes. He said, are they grumbling? I said, by faith, no. (laughs) You see, God has a plan. And to him, it doesn't matter whether there are many or few. It only matters that we say, oh God, if you don't rescue us, we're going to die. If you don't come and rescue us, we have no answers. If you don't come, Jesus. See, I don't need Jesus to come to me as a little baby anymore. 
I don't want a sentimental sweet baby that has to have its diapers changed. I need Jesus to come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I need him to come and change the circumstance. I need him to come and save me and to break every bondage of sin and to set us free as a congregation. I need Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I can't do with anything less. I praise God at the right hand of the Father is seated the Son of Man.
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother and my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Of his glory.